Ohio's Republicans are at it again, trying to play on the idea that Ohioans might be stupid into fooling them into doing something stupid. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. Laura, I think that's the only way you could describe what they're doing. They're counting on Ohioans to be dumb. They're underestimating the intelligence of our fellow Ohioans. We've talked repeatedly about how the Republican lawmakers keep using dirty tricks to reduce democracy in Ohio and end majority rule. What is the latest sleazy step they have taken to try and fool unsophisticated voters into reducing the power of their vote? They approved the ballot language for the August 8 election on this party line vote of three to two. The language does not include any explanation of the current rules. So it only says what we'd be changing to, not what we're changing from. And the group one person, one vote, they oppose what is being called now state issue one because it's the only thing on the August election ballot. They asked them to be more explicit in describing the status quo. They got rejected. Uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose said after the meeting that this was done for brevity. But come on, guys. <laughs> the, issue, the idea is that they're trying to stack the deck. And there might be a lawsuit mm. over this because the one person, one vote folks said this is illegal. And what really galls me is the way that they describe it is saying they're elevating the standards to qualify for and pass any constitutional amendment. And elevate has a positive connotation, which they got into with Frank LaRose. And don't you love what people are always like, well, the dictionary says, and that's his, his yeah, defense. I, I, it's, it's, ama- it's not amazing because I think they're mm. counting on the Supreme Court to be in their pocket as these challenges yes. come. This is well, clearly wrong. Happened. You're not allowed to do this. You've got to tell people what you're doing. You are reducing the value your vote. You're making it harder for voters to change the Constitution. You're lowering the power of the voters. You're not elevating anything. And they're one, they're counting on people not to pay attention. And look, let's face it, you know, in Northeast Ohio, we've covered this and we continue to cover this. Our audience and our readers are well aware of this dastardly deed. But if you live outside of Cleveland and maybe Columbus and Cincinnati, they've covered it some too you're not going to be aware there there is no kind of honest newspapers in those areas tv news doesn't cover this because it's hard they cover crime and weather and so it, how do you get the message out that's what they're counting on they're counting on people right. in rural ohio to if they show up at the polls if they even know there's an election to see that word elevate and say oh yeah i'm all for elevation let's elevate well and, exactly and kill kill the power of their vote and it's just, it's one of those, it's such a cynical thing. Frank LaRose is really Darth Vader. He is counting on people to be stupid and reduce their their time, their seat at the table. And it might work. It might work because the, the, the double speak and the money they're throwing into this. And I completely agree that it's dastardly. I still picture those mustaches twirling. But that's what the one person one vote said this is an attempt to get one over on the Ohio voters. I personally haven't seen any of the campaign so far, but that is really gearing up because early voting starts in less than two months. So we and are it's going gonna to be, be all, 
It's lies. It's all lies. It's They're going to be lies. Lie and it's to- going to be focused on abortion because this is what they're telling people. Because that was the end goal, right? Kill the abortion rights amendment. That's the only reason we're having an August election. So that's how they're going to push this by not talking about taking away people's votes and taking away their rights and making it harder to change the Constitution for anything in the future. They're going to say, protect babies, vote yes. Well, the whole Supreme Court will have two questions. One, the August election is le- illegal because the legislature outlawed August elections and they didn't overturn that law before they did this. So if the Supreme Court follows the law, they'll invalidate the election. The second thing is mm-hmm. this language violates the law. You have to tell people what you're doing. This disguises it. It's just <laughs> there is no shame. They just have given up any thought about democracy and real leadership and are trying to amass power. It's today in Ohio. Every time the U.S. Census Bureau releases new numbers, Cleveland's population gets reduced. We keep thinking this trend inevitably has to reverse at some point. How low can you go? Layla, what do the latest numbers say? Well, I see this as the glass half full story of the day, Chris, because we're still losing population, but it slowed down a bit. That's good news. So an estimated 3,782 fewer people We're living in Cleveland in July of 2022. That's a 1% drop to an estimated population of 361,607. But the year before that, Cleveland was down 6,428 people. So our population loss is slowing. The census of 2020 placed Cleveland's population at 372,624. That was the lowest total since 1890. The peak of Cleveland's population was in 1950 when we were at just under 920,000 people. However, out of 18 Ohio cities with over 50, <clears throat> I'm sorry, out of 18 of Ohio cities with over 50,000 people, 11 of them lost population, so we're not alone. Lakewood saw a big percentage decrease. They're down 1.2%. Columbus, on the other hand, saw an increase by 0.5%, and they remain the 14th largest city in the U.S. with a population of just under 908,000, so rivaling Cleveland in its heyday. But uh, back to the glass being half full, I saw a graphic on the U.S. Census Bureau's website that lists the 15 fastest declining cities in the U.S., and there are no Ohio cities on it. So that's good. I The sad thing for me is the last time we had the numbers, it had slowed down too. We wondered at the time, okay, is this rock bottom? Do we start turning around? And while we still, it's still slower, we're not a rock bottom yet, or at least this time we haven't turned. And hopefully the next time, we talk about this, it'll reverse. I mean, you have had people moving into downtown Cleveland. You have had some residential development. And I thought this might be the time. And so while you see it as a glass half full, you know, I still feel like the dra- now, the glass is draining you know, away. Well, what else needs to happen in order for us to turn around the trend? We need to have jobs. So perhaps Justin Bibbs initiatives will get us there. I mean, they're looking to do that whole Uh, They have that plan to assemble land to make it ready for developers and uh, encourage businesses to come and headquarter here. And we'll see. I mean, maybe that's what we need. But we absolutely need more jobs. That's what will turn the tide. Yeah, I I think there might be something else at play, and it relates to our first discussion. Uh You know, we know that people are leaving the coast. The expenses are high, and now they can work from home, a lot of them. They don't want to live in the expensive areas. 
they they may not be coming to Cleveland because Ohio has become a ridiculous state. Mm -hmm. It's heading toward authoritarianism in every way you can. And young people generally don't believe in that. They, They are more idealistic and they might be thinking, I don't need to go to Cleveland. I can go to Pittsburgh. I can go to Detroit. Pennsylvania yeah. and Michigan are not becoming ridiculous the way we are with lawmakers pretty much lying repeatedly to amass power. And look at what we're doing with the state colleges. Why would you want to come here for college if you're being told you have to, you know, you can't think freely and you have to follow these yeah. precepts? No, no. I mean, but Laura, if you were to choose, would you live between Ohio and Michigan? Like, I no, probably, I, if I got a choice, would move to Michigan. But Jerry Savino says it's about free speech. He's it's making not. it more free speech. It's, you know, right. <laughs> I think, it's you, like, I think you guys are giving people students. too much credit for paying attention to this stuff. I don't think anyone outside of Ohio is paying attention to those news stories. And I, I, think I agree that they're not they paying attention <laughs> to the specifics of the news story, but I think it's getting out. I mean, Ohio went eight points for Trump the last time. We voted in J.D. Vance. I don't think you're missing that. I don't know, Layla. If you were to pick up and move to another state, uh, you're a journalist, so yeah. maybe your proclivity is different. You would check it out. I mean, you would want to know what I'm getting into. Uh, I think they would look it up if they were considering it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Lisa, this is hilarious. Jim Jordan's committee on the weaponation of government is now fighting over who's doing the weaponizing. How did their latest meeting go? Well, it was pretty fractious. The Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of Federal Government had a hearing on government abuses, and that included testimony from three FBI alleged whistleblowers or disgruntled employees, whatever, who say that they lost their privileges and security clearances after identifying activities that they deemed appropriate at the agency. So one of the agents, uh, Garrett O'Boyle, he testified he was suspended after telling a supervisor about possible illegal activity. Stephen Frank said he was questioned about using SWAT to arrest a January 6th suspect who was willing to surrender. And Agent Marcus Allen was accused of conspiratorial views after challenging the official January 6th narrative. Now, uh, the committee's top Democrat, the Democrat Delegate Stacy Plaskett from the Virgin Islands says we've become a clearinghouse for testing conspiracy theories that Donald Trump can use for his 2024 campaign. She says that they did not get any of the witness testimony before the hearing began. And she says, you know, they're undermining law enforcement to pave the way for extremists to undermine elections. This is defund the police on steroids. And Democrats, others on the committee say Jordan is the weaponizer. He's weaponizing his position. And they recalled that Trump urged Congress to defund the FBI and DOJ, which Jordan went along with. So, Yeah. And there's a question. Are these guys whistleblowers or are they just disgruntled employees? And it seems that this revolves around their actions around January 6th. It's just been so rancorous since Jordan created and took over this committee. It, It seems like everything they do is intended to create culture war fury and get them on Fox News and and make their ugly statements. And the Democrats are in the minority on the committee, obviously, but they're speaking up to say, come on, this is ridiculous. Cut it out. What are you doing? It's just a shame. There's probably some things to look at. There probably are some legitimate areas to examine but because you shoot scattershot in every direction, it just creates mm-hmm. the circus atmosphere, which this clearly seemed to have broken down into. 
And Jordan released an 80-page report just before the hearing began in which he claimed that FBI leadership is pressuring agents to reclassify domestic extremism cases to make it look like extremism is on the rise and that the FBI is purging agents with conservative beliefs. So that's the narrative. Does anybody really want to argue that extremism is not on the rise in America right now? I mean, how can you say that with a straight face? Of course, extremism is on the rise. Nobody has to create phony documents to make that appearance. There, There are a lot of things I wonder how Jim Jordan says with a straight face. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. bizarre. Interesting story. It's on Cleveland.com, and you are listening to Today in Ohio. Does Sherrod Brown's summer camp, which he coordinates with Ohio manufacturers, sound like it would be a fun way for kids to spend part of their summer? Laura, I can say with 100% certainty, I would have hated this. Yeah, it wouldn't be my favorite way to spend a summer. There are no, as far as I know, beach trips on here or swimming pools, but some kids may like it. There's a lot of STEM stuff involved. It, it does sound a little bit like, you know, Olympic uh, or like science Olympiad or, or some of those extracurricular school activities. So, but it, it is free. I'm going to put that out there right now. Free for fourth through eighth graders typically lasts around a week. And Sherrod Brown works with local governments, 36 programs in 26 counties this summer to provide this for kids, that the camps help young Ohioans learn about careers in their communities. They tour local manufacturing facilities. They hear from experts. They do team building exercises. They work on a project for their community. And I mean, some of the ideas, they, they do sound cool, like a program for girls in science, technology, engineering and math a Perrysburg program that's going to tour a solar plant. Ashtabula is focusing on robotics and agriculture. So if you're into that thing and you want to learn, this is a great opportunity to get your hands into the field for free for a week in the summer. But no, I this is not like, you know, running around the neighborhood with your best friends. Right. When I was a kid for 10 weeks, the summer was mine. I didn't want to do anything like that. And I, uh, if my parents had made me do something like that, I'd have been furious I mean, for losing a week of summer. I have a story coming next week on summer camp and how difficult it is to find for kids. Like literally got up at 6 a.m. one February morning to make sure that I could sign up my kid when it opened. You know, if you weren't in within 10 minutes, you didn't get a slot. So it is difficult to find summer care for kids. Hats off to Sherrod Brown and these organizations for making it available for free. I hope kids have fun. So I'm, I'm not going to criticize anything. Yeah, that's actually, kids. <laughs> and, and if a kid doesn't have a lot of kids in their neighborhood to play with, this is a good way of getting together with other kids. Plus, your it's giving, age. getting them interested in something academically, like without being doing a worksheet. Right. So if it gets them interested in a field, that's, you great. know what? I know a lot of kids who would probably do this. <laughs> this is, this. I mean, kids are into all kinds of different stuff and don't underestimate the, the number of kids who would be thrilled by this sort of mm-hmm. thing. I have a friend whose mm-hmm. son goes through phases and one of his phases was he was obsessed with the sewer infrastructure <laughs> and he would go to people's houses and be like, can I take a look at the pipes underneath your sink? And he would just like study them and look at them and you know, we went to a pool party and he wanted to go see the pool pump and he spent half the time that's just like gonna looking at yeah, that's that the kid. Be your handyman. That's the kid who wants to do this. There's tons that's of them. Great. How old is this kid? He's eleven. So. Wow. Good for him. All right. Yeah. Well, things have changed. Way to go, Sherrod. You're you're feeding the plumbing fascinated children <laughs> in the future. You're listening to Today in Ohio. So what did 
Cuyahoga County Council have to say about the claim by Chris Ronane's staff that the county executive has sole discretion on demolishing the historic but obsolete and vacant former juvenile court building. Layla, we threw the flag on that yesterday because no executive has that power. And guess what? Well, Council President Purnell Jones said he's giving Ronane and his staff the benefit of the doubt because they're so new to the job, but he hopes that Ronane's spokespeople will think before they speak next time. Ouch. <laughs> so <laughs> the backstory here, as you said, is, is that Chris Ronane is proposing that the county demolish the old Juvenile Justice Center on East 22nd to make way for this giant bridge that'll stretch over the highway there and reconnect downtown to the central neighborhood. But Renane's deputy chief of staff in charge of communications and strategy, David Rasm, told our Steve Litt that Ronane can unilaterally decide to approve that demo and that council approval would only be necessary to approve county money as a funding source for the demo project. And Steve even called Rasm back to double check that take on it. And Rasm doubled down on his explanation that Ronane would be using his executive powers to approve the demolition plan. Well, I mean, that's not how government runs, obviously. And Council President Jones wasn't having it yesterday. He specifically keyed in on Rasm's claims that the county has already decided to demolish the building and will only maintain ownership of the land not needed for the project. Jones said that that's an indication that some amount of money will be required and that the plan clearly contemplates transferring at least a portion of the property for the Interbelt Widening Project, which isn't possible without council's approval. Both the county charter and the county code give council powers over several important functions that would be central to the Interbelt project. And for one, the council controls the purse strings, meaning it would have to approve any contractors hired to do the demolition work and any county money used to pay for it. But they also have to approve any future sale, lease, maintenance, or administration of the property, along with any intergovernmental relationships that govern its use. So Rasm tried to walk back his statement on Thursday and and said he he was misinterpreted. He said he doesn't he didn't intend to suggest that council wouldn't be a part of the decision making and he stressed that the administration does not believe it can act unilaterally. Yeah, right. Hey, walk it back. Miscommunication. We gave him two chances. This isn't the first time we've gone at him and he's doubled down on something and come across looking bad. Th- this was preposterous. And I, I want to point out because some readers said, boy, the county council is being petty. No, they weren't being petty. We did this story. We were uncomfortable with the fact that we had a front page story in the Plain Dealer in which a ranking county official said something that we knew was not true. We went back and went to the county council to ask them about it. They didn't raise their hands. They were responding to us. And look, it's preposterous. If you're going to liquidate a county asset, you got to have both sides of government agreeing on that. Nobody has the power to do anything unilaterally like that. It was a stupid thing to say. And I think Purnell's right. They should think before they speak. You're listening to Today in Ohio. With retired teachers howling about big bonuses paid to their pension investment advisors, did the board do something that might placate the pensioners, Lisa? 
Yes, they did. The The Ohio State Teachers Retirement Service Board approved a 1% cost of living increase for retired teachers um, that will take effect uh, on their retirement anniversary after July 1st of this year. But they also delayed an increase in the required years of service to tap into the pension by five years. They would have required 35 years in August, but they pushed that decision back to 2028. This 1% cost of living raise will cost the pension $825 million, but realize that's from an $88.7 billion fund. Um, They also delayed a decision on what the teachers were really upset about, the $11.1 million in bonuses to investment staff. They've pushed that decision off until their meeting in June. And the board also discussed some other things. They discussed whether they should... um, have more cost of living raises of 1.8 to 2% to counter inflation and whether or not they should change the 14% salary contribution to the fund. They were talking about decreasing it for teachers, but decided against it. And then they will study the pension eligibility issue. But the board got hundreds of emails from retirees. And a lot of them say they want a reduction in years of service, but they don't want to reduce their 14% contribution. Yeah, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense right to keep something solvent if you're going to have more people get in on it earlier you got to have more funding for it somehow so i Mm -hmm. i get the quandary there look the the fact that they're paying extraordinary sums to investment advisors for what has been a mediocre performance while for many years declining to offer cost of living does mm-hmm. kind of stink. So mm-hmm. I am not surprised the teachers have screamed. Uh, and it sounds like the board is at least trying to listen now. It, if they don't listen, they're going to get out and voted out. The teachers have the controlling interest on who's on the board. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Laura, what is a monofill and why is one that could be built in Lorain County so controversial? It's when you basically take the stuff from your incinerator and take that hazardous waste that's been incinerated and bury that residual ash on your property. So this is Ross Incineration Services in Eaton Township that's near North Ridgeville and Lorain County. The company wants to rezone land and so that they can dispose of this construction prop, you know, these this ash on the same site. Residents are concerned about potential health risks associated. They don't know what else they'd want to do with the property in the future. They don't know if they want to increase the incineration capacity. So this has been going on for a while. People have come out to meetings. They've been upset. Currently, they they ship their residual ash from their operations to a site in Michigan, but now they want to put it on site. They've actually reduced the total acreage that they want to rezone since the original. So they're kind of starting over the process. You got to put it somewhere, right? right? And and a lot of states aren't really happy about getting other states waste. Right. And so they've actually been getting some of the waste from the Norfolk Southern um, contaminated soil. So neighbors are also concerned about that. What's interesting, and I wasn't really aware of this, in 93, George Voinovich was governor. There was a moratorium put on new permits for hazardous waste incinerators in Ohio. That just changed in January. Senator Rob McCauley slipped language into a bill at the last minute that provided an exception for plants that had been operating prior to April 15th, 1993. So we've talked a lot about how things get done in this state. Just going to leave that there. Okay, we'll have to see if this moves forward again or if the anger of the residents really has put it off or changed it dramatically. It's Today in Ohio. 
Layla, you would think that a city like Cleveland would not have room or need for new roads, but the city is building one. Where is it and what's the purpose? Yeah, well, the county is building this road, which will be called East 26th Street, and it'll be situated between Community College Avenue and Central Avenue. This is going to cost $2.1 million. It'll be 785 feet of concrete connecting an improved central recreation center to housing that's being planned by the Cuyahoga Metropolitan Housing Authority. Sounds a little pricey to me for such a short stretch of road, but it includes, I guess, electric, water, sewer, and sidewalk infrastructure. So I guess. Um, The new road was proposed as part of former county executive Armin Budish's central neighborhood surge. Remember that? (laughs) That was supposed to improve the streets and spur development in central and increase internet connectivity and job creation and financial literacy. But I I feel like the only other project I've heard of coming about as a result of that surge was the affordable internet plan. I'm really curious to know what other services were pumped into this neighborhood to make life better for residents there because Budish announced this central surge idea around the same time that he announced he'd be proposing anti-discrimination housing laws. And we didn't see that come to fruition, really. And I I sense that those initiatives aligned with this period where he was weighing his chances at re-election. And once he decided he wouldn't run, you know, meh. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, when I saw the headline for this, I thought it was going to be a new road they're building off of Opportunity Parkway mm-hmm. at the uh, Carter. Uh, it's right next to the Meyer. There's a road that is across the street, and they're extending it alongside, but it's not. So there's two new roads being built in Cleveland. Uh, I wasn't aware of either. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Lisa, let's end it with fun. What were the most popular names in Ohio in 2022? And thank you for your note yesterday that the list was missing on Cleveland.com. Because of you, we got it up. Oh, yeah. I was like, where's the list? I want to see if I'm on it. And I wasn't. So data from the Social Security Administration for last year says that in Ohio, the number one boy's name was Oliver. 656 boys were named that, followed by Liam, Noah, Henry, and Theodore as the top five. Girls, the number one name was Charlotte. 583 girls have that moniker, followed by Olivia, Amelia, Sophia, and Ava. Now, nationwide, the number one names are Liam for boys and Olivia for girls. But here in Ohio, Olivia and Charlotte have kind of swapped places. So last year, Olivia was number one and Charlotte was number two. And then Liam was number one for boys and Oliver was number two. So those four names seem to be the most popular both here and nationwide. Looking for our names, I found Layla, but spelled L-A-Y-L-A, number 23. Um, That's obviously after the Eric Clapton album. (laughs) Christopher made it to 77 with 158. And Quinn, a female name, was number 34 with 199. Get out of town. My daughter goes by that. She doesn't go by her first name. Everybody calls her Quinn. Yeah, it's bizarre to me because it sounds like it's cold-blooded, but that's what it is. She's Colleen. Mm -hmm. We named her Colleen. She's Colleen in my mind, but for everybody else, it's Quinn. It's interesting that that's that high. What about about Laura? I'm sure it's not on the top. Laura is not on the list. (laughs) Laura's not on the list, and Lisa is not on the list. But, you know, Lisa, you're of your generation. There's lots of Lauras that I know that are about my age, and and, you know, you think, God, there's, there's so many Olivias and Charlottes and you know, mm-hmm. Madison's or whatever. And, but you think about all the girls in my grade that were Jenny, right? Like everybody, I probably graduated Jennifer. with like 
eight Jennifers, a couple of Kellys, Amanda's, Jessica's, you yeah. know, so you always know how old someone is based on their name. Right. No, I am. And there were probably like five Lisa's in my high school and there were lots of Amy's, oh, lots yeah. of Jones, lots of Joanne's. I'm, I'm right, troubled so- by the rise of popularity of the name Layla though. I don't like it at all. I always enjoyed being <laughs> well, the only one. And now there's all these children named Layla. And when people scold their kids and I overhear it and they're calling, you know, they're like, Layla, get over here. And, and I just have like a, you know, identity crisis every time I remind you of your own childhood. <laughs> so, so look, let me, let me ask you this because all three of you have names that end with the letter A. Four of the top five girls' names end with the letter A. What do you make of that? Well, in other languages like Spanish, that's how you know it's a feminine name because it ends in A. So I don't know. But what I found interesting in the boys' side, there are lots of biblical names, Ezekiel, Micah, Isaiah, Josiah, and then some weird names for boys. Number 22 was Maverick. (laughs) Really? Really? Yeah. (laughs) 298 boys have the name Maverick. And then Atlas was number 95 for boys. And and for girls, Paisley was number 36. Oaklyn, spelled O-A-K-L-Y-N-N, was number 62. (laughs) Come on now, guys. Does they have a brother named Plaid? If you call your kid, your son, (laughs) Atlas, it's like calling him Hercules. He's going to be challenged in school. (laughs) And that's a risky thing to do. I'm anyway, looking interesting. for the annoying ones on this list. <laughs> so the, the, the whole list is online, thanks to Lisa's alert noticing that even though the story said the list was concluded, it was not, and we fixed it. So thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks to everybody listening to this podcast. That's it for the week. We'll be back Monday talking about the news. 